If you want to look and know what the faith of a kid is, you can look at their parents and tell what their faith is going to look like. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. On September 21st, 2009, the state of Michigan, Kent County Hospital, St. Mary's, and I don't know what other government agencies might have been involved, let two 26-year-olds take home a one-day-old baby. All we had to do was name them. We could literally make up whatever we wanted. Uh, We had to prove that we had a car seat, sign some papers, and we were out the door. My wife and I, at the time, we were 26 years old. We'd both graduated college. We'd taken parenting classes, read whatever book we read online that we should read. We copied whatever nursery looked the best on the internet, and we couldn't get into an electrical plug at our house without five minutes and a pair of pliers. We thought, this is what you do when you have a kid. So were we ready? No, we weren't ready at all. But were we up for the challenge? I don't think so either. Uh, So what we do is we come downstairs out of the hospital, we put the baby in the car seat where they can barely breathe, and this is the only time in my life a driver's ed instructor would have been happy with my driving performance. I'm 10 and two, my wife's in the back seat for some reason. Uh, I'm driving the speed limit and we make it safely to our house, we pull into the garage, and we're getting ready to walk in our house as a family for the very first time. We walk up the stairs, and we had a baby swing, and we set our firstborn Blair in this swing. And my wife sits on the carpet here, and I sit here, and we, look at the, we just keep looking at him, looking at each other, looking back at the baby. And it's in times like this I typically say things that are fairly profound. And I said, are we just supposed to look at him? Like, has any parent been in this situation before? Like, you don't know what you're supposed to do. They let you take this life home with you. Now you're in charge. And you're just like, I guess we just, let's just watch him, make sure he, see if he does any tricks or something. <laughs> Last week in this room, Luke, who um, talked about the resurrection and how it changes everything. Because we have a God who lived a perfect life died on the cross, rose again, and is advocating to the Father on our behalf. It changes everything. And today we're talking about how heaven, the resurrection of Jesus, changes our parenting. Um, I know this won't be a parent at first, but if you're in here and you're not a parent, uh, today's message will still have something for you in it. If your kids are long, gone and you've turned their room into a workout room now, there is still something for you in this message. I want to pray this morning as we get started and uh, ask God to give us some insight this morning. So let's pray with me, would you? God, you're good. Um, We're thankful to be in this room today as your church gathered. So we gather uh, together and join um, millions and billions across this globe who come together today and say that you are God We trust you and you are worthy of our praise. Help us today as we look at your word to give us insights on what it means to parent well. God, you're good. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It's been said that parenting is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, come to think of it, that's also the definition for insanity. Um, Parenting's hard. I mean, it's very difficult. And we think, though, 
It's worth trying to get right. I don't know a lot about parenting, but I know parents love unsolicited advice. Uh, So here we go this morning. I know a lot of you in this room, but my name is Eric Carter. I'm the next gen director here at Plainfield Christian Church, and I also work directly with middle school students. If you don't know what next gen is, similar to our kid's name, we just made this thing up. It is for the next generation of people. So this is birth through starting your career. We believe that this is an important time in a child's life. We want to instill in you what does it mean to follow Jesus. We're gonna talk a little bit about what that looks like a little bit later. You know, we said parenting is hard. I had a friend of mine who said, parenting is consistently messing up our kids. And I don't know if that was a pep talk or not, but what I think he meant by this was, it's impossible to parent perfectly. You can't do it, we're humans. We're full of sin, we're going to mess up. But there is grace provided by God in the process. That'd probably look better on a throw pillow than the first one. We think that parenting is super important so we need to figure out what does it mean to get it right. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would be like to be Mary and Joseph. You are literally Jesus's parents. Like talk about a task that you wanna take seriously, make sure you don't mess up. Now are you the parents? Yes, but this is God's only son. You better make sure you're doing this correctly. You know, I wonder if that's why we really don't have anything about their parenting from age two to age 12. And when it picks up at age 12, what do they do? They forget him at the temple. Now, I have a 12-year-old boy, so I think what might have happened is they said, listen, we did our best. He's turning out to be pretty good. Let's leave him at his dad's house, and we'll just go back home. Like, I don't know. It's a hard thing, though. We get a chance to understand what is it like to take care of something that's not our own. Uh, We're gonna be reading from Proverbs this morning. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and get it out. The thing about Proverbs, it's wisdom literature, meaning it reads a little different than other sections of scripture. It tells us what it's like to be fallen people. These are rules for fallen people and what it looks like to live God's way in the midst of that. It doesn't mean the promises are not true, but it's showing this is what it looks like to live as God's people. The promises of God are different. When we read Jesus say in Matthew 28, 20, that I'm with you always until the very end of the age, that promise is true always, 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 and it's always going to be the case. When we read wisdom literature, the other thing we keep in mind is we're sinful people with free will. We get to make a choice on our own we get to choose what we're doing. So I wanna read in in Proverbs 22, verse one through six. Read along with me if you could. In your head, sorry. (laughs) A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of all of them. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs is attributed to Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament. And these first five verses give us this look of what does it look like when we value our good name 
over the easy trappings and snares of this word? What does it mean that we need to put our value in who we are and who God sees us as uh, rather than trying to gain riches in an ill-conceived and ill-gotten way? And then we get to verse six, and it says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, there was a needle point in uh, my grandmother's house right above the kid's bed that had that verse on it. It had a picture of a train. It said, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're older, they will not depart from it. We like this verse, don't we? It gives us a promise that if we put time into our kids, they're going to follow Jesus when they're older. But we know to some degree that that isn't always the case. We wanna look at what that looks like this morning. I've heard this verse used in different ways over the years, and I wanna kinda give three analogies of how I've seen it used. The first one is the sports analogy. We gotta train, train, train our kids in the way of the Lord, and when they're older, they will not depart from it, meaning we're gonna give them 100 pot flies, 200 grounders. If we work them hard enough, they'll follow Jesus the rest of their life. The next one, (laughs) ill-named, it would be like the dog trainer version of it. We're gonna crate train these kids for Jesus. If they do well, we'll give them a treat. If they don't, it's no fetch for them. The other my grandmother had on a needlepoint is the train conductor. Let's get them on the track. Then we'll just kind of shove it, put it in drive. How many curves could there be? What could possibly go wrong in life to make them not follow Jesus? And the problem with all three of these kind of versions is it leaves us with hurt at times because we know life always has curveballs. It always has things that come into play. And so what I want to do is look at the verse. You know, it says train your child, a child in the way they should go. That word train is used three other times in the Old Testament. And every time it translates as dedicate. It's used when talking about the house of God, about the temple. It said that they dedicated the temple to God. This temple, something made with man-made hands, they said it is important for us to say this is no longer something just made by man's hands. We are dedicating this to God. God, this, what used to be ours, made with the earth, is now given to you. This is your ownership. You own this. Do with it as you see fit. The third time is for a house. Same illustration used there. God, we might have made this house, bought this house, whatever, but we're dedicating it to you, meaning this. Whatever happens in this domicile is up to you. We are giving this back to you. God, this is your house. Use it as you see fit. And then we get to this, the fourth. Train your child in the way they should go. Dedicate your child. You know, we read and know that God knit us, Psalm 139 says, God knit us together in our mother's womb. We are God's children. Your child is God's child first and foremost. And what we get to do is we get to look and say, God, what is yours already? We get to choose to dedicate that back to you. And my question this morning is this, if something is God's, does it change how we care for it? Uh, I have a friend who uh, got one of those new fancy uh, Corvette convertibles. You ever seen that? Guys kind of getting to know you out? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. Um, and I asked him the other day, I go, hey, do you care if I take it for a, for a spin around the neighborhood? Uh, this would be number two times uh, that a uh, driver's ed instructor would be happy with my driving. I was careful. My wife gets in the car and she keeps, Eric, stop, don't, don't. Because like, what do you want to do when you get in something like that? Like, right, let's go. Um, she gets in, we're taking it around. 
And I get back and my whole thing is, don't wreck it, don't wreck it, don't wreck it. I don't know how much they cost, but I don't have it on me this morning. I mean, it's nice. On the other hand, how many of you have ever rented a car before? You know what I mean? It matters who owns the thing that you have. If it's God's child, it matters how we care for it. The next line that says this is train, which says dedicate a child in the way. The word should is not in the original text. What it is really saying here is that we should dedicate a child in his way. What does it mean to dedicate a child in his way? I think it's three things I want to talk to you about this morning. The first one is this, as parents in the room, if we want to know what it means to dedicate our child, we must know God first to dedicate our children. Do you ever heard the phrase, do as I say, not as I do? I'd love to meet the man, and we know it's a man who came up with that saying <laughs> to begin with, do as I say, not as I do. Hey, dad, the speed limit's 55, you're doing 75. It's okay, son, I'm a professional, but when you get this age, you make sure to fastidiously follow the speed limit as you go. Dad, I think you're supposed to wear safety glasses when you use heavy, no, hey, listen, I've done this a thousand times, I know what I'm doing, what could go wrong? Hey, dad, I think two bowls of ice cream a night's too, hey, listen, sugar for you is a no-no, I'm allowed at this point in my life to consume it as I see fit. There's a, there's a researcher named Christian Smith out of Notre Dame, he, um, he took on this task. He wanted to know, what is the faith of America like? What are the faith of American kids like? So he did the largest study that's ever been done. It was a longitudinal study where he followed the same group of kids over 10 years, a large number, and all he was trying to figure out is what does their faith look like? And it's a really interesting thing if you have time to look at, but one of the things that really stuck out to me in his findings was this, is what determines the faith of a kid most regularly is the faith of the parents. He said, if you want to look and know what the faith of a kid is, you can look at their parents and with a high level of regularity, tell what their faith is going to look like. As Next Gen Ministry, we pray for you and your families a lot because we believe this to be true. There is no more important thing you can do for your kid's faith than to love Jesus and follow him yourself. Nothing. My guess is if you're here this morning, um, you have a desire to figure out what that looks like to follow Jesus, but I want to give you a couple of tips, a couple of hints of what that would be if we want to know what does it mean to know God, to dedicate our child back. The first one is this, that we have to be in a faith community have to be in a faith community. Here at PCC, we have a few options. We have Sunday morning groups. We have home groups. We have midweek groups. There's something for you to get involved with, but you have to be in a faith community. And here's what this is like. Community is like a street lamp on a dark road. It is very easy for us to stay back in the shadows, outside of the light, and practice our faith. Nobody knows about it. We get to keep it to ourselves, And by the way, isn't faith a private act anyway? But the truth is, we're designed to live our faith in the light. It exposes us, yes. And it doesn't feel good sometimes. But it's the only way in which we're allowed to fix what's going on and grow in Christ. God wants us in Christian community. You know, in Ephesians 5, verse 8, it says this. For one time, you were in darkness. But now... You are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We're not an island to our fellow, or into ourselves. Faith works itself out 
through community. The next one is this. We need to practice spiritual disciplines in both private and public. Spiritual disciplines, simply put, are any vehicle that draws us towards the heart of God. Meaning, reading your Bible, prayer, journaling, worship. We need to practice these on a regular basis. And you know, a lot of you, the part about doing it privately. We even, Jesus tells us to pray in private. What's the part where we practice it publicly? Is that we need to let our kids catch us. They need to catch us reading our Bible early in the morning. They need to catch us praying with our spouse before we go to bed. Some of you might think this seems performative, but it's not, it's instructional. We allow our kids to see us doing what we know is important for them. We practice our faith both publicly and privately. The next one is this, is we get to prioritize God's way for our children. It says, dedicate a child in his way. What is the way of God? There's a French poet who said, if you want to build a ship, you don't drum up people to collect wood and assign tasks for them to work, but rather that you teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Now, it takes me a while to understand poetry, so I'll read it again. If you want to build a ship, you don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks. Rather, you teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. What it means to teach a kid in the way of the Lord is nothing short of training their heart to love good and to hate evil. It's training their heart. Um, there was a book that I read by a guy named J.K.A. Smith, and it's called You Are What You Love. And his premise in the book is simply this, is we as humans don't act very often out of the intellect that we've downloaded in our brain. Most likely, we act out of what we love in our heart. Meaning this, infor- correct information very rarely changes how we act, more so than the thing in which we love. Oh, we'll do a lot of things for things we love. But sometimes our information doesn't always click through. So what we're trying to do to teach kids in his way is we're trying to train their heart for what it means to follow God. I don't know if you've ever walked in door five, children's center, glass doors on your left. Along that right side, you will see a jar. It's not there today, it's here. Um, don't tell Chris Terramore, like, somebody stole it. Um, a jar with marbles in it. And each one of these marbles represents one week in a kid's life. So let's say you had this, you get home from the hospital, grab one of these. Let's say every Sunday you pull one out, throw it in the trash. Or you can reuse it. Take another one out, throw it away. Now, some of you parents would be smiling, especially if you have a 17-year-old. You're like, we're almost down to the bottom. (laughs) But what it goes to show, what it goes to show for us is how quickly time goes. This is not meant to scare at all. It's just really meant to put things into perspective. And what I've learned the longer I've been a parent is when older people who've been further along than you tell you how quick it goes, they're 100% correct. Can I get an oh yeah, parents? It goes fast. And so what we're trying to see is how do we prioritize things for our children? Um, What I've known in my time in youth ministry 
is that which we prioritize always equals what we produce. As parents, the things in our life that we prioritize for our kids equals what we produce for them. So it matters the things that we prioritize for them in their heart to love. Uh, I wanna go through real quickly as a church what we prioritize for age groups. Over the past year and a half, uh, us as a next-gen ministry, we've been praying and studying over what do we want for your children when you bring them and trust us with them in the building. So I just want to go real quickly, just a highlight of each one so you can see it. The first one is this, for early childhood, early elementary, we see church as a safe place. We want them to know and grasp the big truths of God, that God loves me, God made me, and the Bible are true. As they move into elementary, we want them to discover God through his word, reading the Bible, and being able to figure out how do I apply this to my life. Middle school, which I love so much, is we want them to know that they can belong to a faith community. Belonging is so important for middle school kids, and we want them to know that Jesus offers them the ultimate belonging. Belonging to a faith community and for them to personally place their trust in the person and mission of Jesus. As they grow into high school, we want, them to, uh, we want them to establish Christian living practices, set boundaries in their life, grow in their spiritual disciplines, and sharing in their faith. This is why we believe that being at church is so formative, why it's so important to be at church on a Sunday. And I know that in this room, me saying that sounds a couple of things. It sounds self-serving. And it also comes with a little bit of baggage. Maybe some of you were forced to go to church when you were a kid. Didn't want to go, didn't like it, didn't have any friends, whatever that thing was. And so wanting to force your kid to go seems wrong. And maybe it is. I get that. I understand the pressure of what that is. And I understand that all the pressures that we have from the outside, really, really good things pulling your attention away. But let me give a counter argument to it this morning, if you don't mind. We do not allow kids very much choice, do we? Hey, I really don't want to go to school today. I think I'll just sit home and watch Netflix. Like most of us as parents don't go, well, if you feel that way in your heart, we're going to allow that to happen. No, we don't do that. Like we don't allow kids very much choice. I think I'm skipping the toothbrush thing. I go to the dentist, they get clean once every six. Like we make them do things. You got to sit down to dinner. You're going to have to scrub your armpits. We have to do these things. This is part of being a parent. Then we turn around and we say a lot of times, hey, do you want to go to church today? The number one uh, task of a kid from when they're really little is to try to figure out how do I be an adult? What's it look like to be an adult? So when you're at age three and you try to do something for a three-year-old, what do they always say? No, I'll do it, I'll do it, me do, me do. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And you're like, well, you don't know how. And you're like, no, I wanna do this thing. Middle school kids, when they tell you they hate you, parents, trust me on this one, they don't hate you probably. They're just trying to be an adult. Every step along the way is trying to figure out what does it mean to be an adult. So when we ask them this question, sometimes we force their hand to make them say no. We need to know what it means as the adults in the room to prioritize faith for our kids. It is so formative for them. It has caught so much more than anything else. Do you remember earlier when I said if you're not a parent or if your kids are out of the house, we have something for you today? Well, here you go. If you're asleep, wake up. This is this, this time for you. Um, Romans 8 says that through the Spirit, 
We're all a family here. So it means the person you're sitting next to, whether they're a parent or not, whether they belong to your blood family or not, we all as a church are a part of this family of God. And God has given us the task as the church to raise this next generation for God. I want to put this into youth ministry terms so I can understand it. Um, Oh, I didn't even say what we're talking about right now, did I? Here we go. If you want to know what it means for this last thing is we all get to be extended family to these kids. Whether you're their real parent or not, we're all family in God and you get to be their extended family. Back to youth ministry terms. If you're going to church camp, taking a retreat, CIY, you'll hear a lot of times that you need one adult for every five kids. To make sure that the trip goes off well, we don't leave anybody at a rest station, we need one adult for every five kids, let's keep track of them. There's this guy named Chuck Clark who wrote a book. He's a professor at Fuller Seminary and Fuller Youth Institute. And he said, if we wanna know what it means as a church to love and raise this next generation for Christ, we need to flip that ratio from one to five to five to one. We need five adults for every one kid. And you say, practically, that doesn't make much sense for a trip. And he's not saying that. Here is what he's saying. He's saying that when every kid walks in this door, when a kid makes the effort to come in our building, we need at least five adults who care about that kid enough to know his name, to ask him how his weekend was, how band concert was, what's going on at his home, what he's excited about this summer. We have to care about these kids if we're going to shape the heart of them. How do we do that? What's the easiest way to do it? Um, I think there's a couple uh, ones. What I want to do first, I want to read Psalm 145. I love, the, I love the challenge that the psalmist gives us here about what it means as people who've accepted Christ and have experienced Christ is that it's our job to pass that on to the next generation. It says, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Our generation commends your works to another. So practically, what does this mean? First one is we get to volunteer at church. The quickest way I know to meet a great number of kids is to volunteer. Rock a baby. You can uh, be a welcome person in the, in the tree house. You can be a D group leader on Sunday nights. You can be a seventh grade guy's small group leader. And kind of a secret here, it's honestly kind of fun. You get to know these kids. If you want to know how to get to know a quick number of kids and care for them regularly, it's to volunteer. Uh, if you're interested in doing something like that, we have um, people in the hub who will talk to you this morning. Um, there is a button on our website where you can click serve. I'm looking around the room right now and already seeing a ton of people who already serve and I can promise you they would tell you what I'm saying up here is true. It is the difference maker for their faith and the faith of those they get to serve. The next one is this, is just be involved in your community and with your neighbors. Adults often think that kids don't like being around them and that's just false. Throw a football with your neighbor. Volunteer for a community organization such as um, WRE, who's looking for mentors, or Plainfield Youth Assistance Program, which is looking for mentors. Come talk to me if you have any questions on that. You can call the school, ask them, what are ways in which we can get involved? If we want to know what it means, we have to say it is our job to care for those around us that I see, the kids of those. It is not just their parents. We are all extended family. We're always one generation away from people not knowing who Jesus is. 
Now, this isn't true worldwide. The church will always go on. Jesus promised us that. But we're saying for here in Hendricks County, what does it mean in this area, on this corner of Dan Jones and Township Line, what is our responsibility to pass faith on to the next generation? I believe there's no more important task than stewarding the next generation faith. My parents um, were faithful people, and I'm blessed by that. My grandparents were churchgoers and faithful. I'm blessed by that. My grandmother was a preacher and set a legacy of faith for us. Um, but my guess is that all of us in here have somebody in our heart that we know who's not following Jesus like we would like them to. You know, a friend of mine just told me as we read this verse, train up a child in the way they should go and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And that word old denotes maturity. It's not just age. That as you mature in your faith, as you mature in the lessons that you've taught, that the parents have taught, they will come to faith and the promise will be fulfilled at that time. But that's not always where the people we love are at. Jesus tells this story. He says, there is a man, I don't know if that's me or not now, uh, there's a man who goes to his father and says, dad, can I have my inheritance? And he goes away and he lives his life in wild living. He squanders the money quickly. And as soon as the money is gone, so are his friends. And he ends up homeless, working for a guy, eating pig food. And he thinks to himself, you guys know this story, right? He thinks to himself, I should go home and tell my dad I'll work for him. Maybe I can be one of his servants. And as he's walking home, you know he's probably got his head down, practicing his, practicing his speech. What am I gonna say? What am I gonna say to my dad? How, do I, how am I gonna come back after I've asked him and told him I wish he was dead? And I love this part of the story. It says this, that his dad sees him when he's a long way off and comes running towards him. Meaning, that wasn't the first day he was out there looking for him. He was out there daily, looking for a son, saying, when are you gonna come home? And here's the truth, you have a church that's actively praying for your family. For some of them who might not be yet mature in the faith to come home, we have a God who is waiting always to offer grace and forgiveness for us in those times. It was a couple months after my wife and I bring our baby home and we have him set in this swing that we're on a retreat. And uh, it was a youth retreat and they have this like little activity for us to do. And maybe you've done it before. We got a post-it note and we get to write down the name of somebody we know who's not following Jesus and we're gonna actively pray for them. And I go through the list of some people that I wanna pray for. I have a friend from high school that I've been praying for all these years. And then it hit me at that time. And I wrote down the name of my firstborn Blair. And you put it up there. It never really occurred to me before that he might not follow Jesus. And it was at that moment that I got to say, God, this is your child. I dedicate him to you. Help us to know what it means to raise him for you. If I want to know how heaven changes my parenting, if I want to know how the resurrection changes my parenting, it's simply this. I get to say, God, this is your child. Raise him, let us help you, help raise him as you see fit. Let's pray. God, you are good and we are not up to the task so often. 
that you've called us to. So this morning, God, I pray for us who know we need help parenting. That God, the things that we've been prioritizing are no longer what we think we should. And we just want, God, we ask for forgiveness and grace. God, I pray for those who um, are tired, that you would give them energy. Those who are alone, that you give them community. And God, I pray for us who are just simply here as a church that we start to say, God, take away my preferences and simply say, what can I do to raise this next generation of people to love you? God, let this be a place that strangers come in with kids and feel loved. All It's all because of your son Jesus and his forgiveness for us. Let me say amen. 